Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burugun campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. a greater vision and view of what you're doing among us and in the world. We ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our King. Amen and amen. So good morning. Please be seated. Thank you. That was a wonderful time of worship and thank you to Jonathan and the team. These guys have been busy, haven't they? Goodness me, over these recent weeks. Let's give them a round of applause. The team today and, of course, the team over the last few weeks has been incredible. Well, I hope you had an enjoyable Christmas, an enjoyable break. You managed to come along to one of the services here, but uh, I hope you also ate too much food. Did you do that? That's what I did. (laughs) It's a time of celebration, isn't it? It's a time to eat and to eat among those that you love and be with those that you love. We're very blessed. But today we're concluding our series, The Coming. And you might be thinking, what do you mean by that? We arrived, didn't we, at the coming? The coming of Jesus? Didn't we celebrate the coming of Jesus a couple of days ago at Christmas? Wasn't that the conclusion of the series? Well, today I want to look at the coming of Jesus at Christmas as the coming of the kingdom of of God on earth in human flesh with significant implications for us and for the whole world. See, Jesus came that the kingdom of God might keep coming, might keep breaking into the world. See, Jesus came that the Spirit of God might come and dwell in us, that we might know the kingdom in us and that the kingdom might live out through us into the world. What a wonderful thing that is. Keep on filling us and flowing out from us. Now, kids, I wonder, children, there are many children here. I know the front row there is, and I expect there's a few out there, but a king or queen 
is someone who has a kingdom. Is that, is that right? And what's a kingdom? A kingdom is a realm, isn't it? It's an area. It could be a territory over which a king or queen rules and reigns. Do you know any earthly kings and queens that reign at the moment? Are there any reigning on earth at the moment that you know of? Oh, yep. Well, what about that one? Do you know who that is? <laughs> well, that's the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II, who's the Queen and Head of State of the United Kingdom and quite a number of Commonwealth countries, including Australia. Do you know who this, do you know who this is? Ah, we got there. Do you know who this is? King of Thailand. And the King of Thailand has been having all sorts of, well, receiving all sorts of publicity recently, probably for all the wrong reasons. But he is king over the territory or the area or the country of Thailand. And so he rules and he reigns in Thailand. And of course, has a significant impact on the people of Thailand, the Thai people. Now, what do kings and queens usually have? Kids, what do they usually have? Money, don't they? Yeah. They have all the goods of the world, don't they? They have palaces. Yeah, they have thrones and they have crowns, riches, just all those things that are befitting, really, of royalty. You know, they're usually born, we see here, this is a, a you know, a, a crown there on a throne, and uh, the earthly kings and queens normally sit on a throne, don't they? And they have a crown that's put on their head in their palaces. They're usually born in palaces uh, with the best of care, the best that the world has to offer. Everything that the world has to offer, the best of that is usually their portion for their lives. And when they die, there's uh, normally a great procession and ornate tombs, and people come from all over the world to mourn, to grieve their passing. But they and their kingdoms come and go. Isn't that right? But today I want to talk about a different sort of king. And I mean a totally different sort of king. A king who had no palace, represented over here and up here. That was the king that I'm going to be talking about today. That was his throne, that cross. That's very different. His throne was the cross. His crown was a crown of thorns. He had no financial wealth whatsoever on earth. Amazing. He served us. He came that he might serve. He came because he loves us. And that's why there's a towel there. Because that towel represents his life, his life of service. He washed the disciples' feet. And if he was here today in the flesh, his heart would be to wash your feet, to love you. He was born, where was he born? In a stable, in the dirt, as we sang, to a peasant, an unknown peasant girl. 
He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But his kingdom never comes to an end. His kingdom is everlasting. Isn't that amazing? A totally different sort of king. King Nebuchadnezzar, you remember him? Had a dream about this king, which is recorded for us in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. At the time of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the mighty Babylonian Empire. Way back there in the 6th century, when he ruled the known world at that time, 600 years before Jesus. Babylon was located, by the way, in modern-day Iraq. But God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream. Gave him a few dreams, actually, but this is the one that I want to talk about today. A dream of a large, awesome, strong statue of a person. And God gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream. See, the dream turned out to be a prophetic vision of the history of the world from the day of King Nebuchadnezzar in the 6th century BC to the end of this current age. The vision really, if you like, sketched the course and the climax of history. And the vision has deeply impacted me recently, which I mentioned at the church family meeting because of the way it relates to a number of things that the Lord's been speaking to my heart about in these days, which we'll be sharing, which I will be sharing at some later time. But this vision that was given, the head of the statue was gold, the chest and the arms were silver, the stomach and the thighs were bronze, the legs were iron, the feet were iron and clay. See, each part of the statue, coming down, each part of the statue represented successive kingdoms, successive world powers that would rule the world from that point on. So the gold represented the Babylonian Empire, the silver, the Persian, the bronze, the Greek, the iron and clay, the Roman Empire. But then, this is the thing, that in the dream, a small rock was cut out of a mountain but not by human hands. It's a seemingly small, insignificant rock. And that rock struck the feet, the feet of the statue. This strong, mighty, awesome statue, this stone, this rock, struck the feet of that statue and the whole statue came crumbling down, was reduced to dust and was blown away. God. Amazing. And that small rock in the dream became a huge mountain and eventually filled the whole earth, the entire earth, overcoming every other kingdom. See, that small rock came during the Roman rule, Roman world rule. And we read in Daniel. God will at that time set up a kingdom on earth that will never be destroyed, a kingdom that has no end, a kingdom that will fill the earth. See, that small rock turned out to be who? Jesus. That small rock, one seemingly obscure person, but Jesus was the king, bringing the kingdom of God into the world in a new way, 
in a new way, in flesh, human flesh, to eventually fill the earth, overcoming all other kingdoms and to reign forever on the earth. See, Jesus' depiction as the small rock in the book of Daniel was to show us this, that a seemingly insignificant person by human standards. So the dream was to show us that there would be a seemingly insignificant person by human standards, would be the one that would rule and reign on the earth and that he is actually king, the creator and the king of all that is. So the kingdom of God, in a sense, therefore, is hidden. And I think we can relate to that. I certainly can, that the kingdom of God is hidden in the earth. It's hidden. Not like the other rulers in their kingdoms. All the other worldly kingdoms, well, they're political. And they get their power and their position by fighting and warring with other kingdoms. And have humans sitting on thrones, visible thrones, visible earthly thrones, with all the accompanying pomp and ceremony and wealth and splendor. This was not the case with Jesus. His kingdom and his rule was of an entirely different character. And character is the key. The kingdom was not political, was not of this world, but it was heaven come to earth, which is captured well, I think, in an old meditation. It's a beautiful old meditation written over 100 years ago. You all would have probably heard of it titled One Solitary Life. Do you know that one? Many would. Let's just read parts of that. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office, never went to university, never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles to the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. His CV, and Nick touched on this in in his um, Christmas Eve service, his CV was hardly a profile of a king or a world leader or a president or a Nobel Prize winner. Yet it's not Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar or any other great leader since, but Jesus of Nazareth, who is the central figure in human history, undeniably so. And Graham mentioned about uh, Galilee and Nazareth the other day, that no good thing could come out of Nazareth or Galilee. Well, interestingly, there is no serious rival to the one who came out of Galilee. His place, is there's no rival for his place, actually, is the most significant figure in the history of the world, that small rock. See, if, if anyone questions the supremacy of Jesus in history, we only need to ask, well, who else do you have in mind? Who else 
are you thinking about? See, the meditation goes on to say this, all the enemies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the, the life of humanity on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. See, it all began in the first century. In the first century, it's what we celebrate at Christmas and Easter, and the everlasting kingdom continues to come. It continues to break into every part and every sphere of the world, and will continue to do so until the rule and reign of Jesus fills the earth. And there will be no other rule apart from the rule of Jesus. See, in the book of Mark, Mark begins by recording how John the Baptist was preparing the way uh, for the coming of this small but powerful rock and the coming of the everlasting kingdom, which we read, which we read about in Daniel. So John was preparing that way. Mim spoke about that uh, only just last week, about John the Baptist, and mentioned how John said, I baptise in water. But after me comes the one more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the kingdom of God. This was not only for our personal salvation. It's important to see it's not only for our personal salvation, but also that God might have a people for his name in the earth and for his kingdom to continue to break in, continue to break in until the whole earth is filled with the character of the king of the kingdom of God. And that will happen one day. The Old Testament prophets foretold of that day. They said the day is coming when the earth will be filled with not just the glory, but the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that beautiful? Lord, give us eyes to see what you're doing in the earth. We read in Mark, in Mark 1, 14 to 15, that after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And Jesus defined what he meant by good news. And this, I think, is enlightening. Jesus' definition of what he means by good news. Jesus said, the time has come meaning the time has come in history. In the history of the world, the time has come. The kingdom has come near, meaning the kingdom of God is on earth in flesh, in human flesh and blood. Goodness me. So his definition. So, and then he says, Repent, this is Jesus, after he says the kingdom of God has come near, repent, turn and believe the good news. So do you see the definition? Believe the good news. See, Jesus' definition of the gospel or the good news is this. The kingdom of God has come near. The king of heaven has come on earth in human flesh and blood. This is the greatest news that you and I will ever hear. that God has come as one of us. See, God has always been sovereign. God is sovereign. 
He's powerful. He's over everything. Everything. He reigns and he rules over all that is. He always has. But, but the kingdom of God in human flesh is something altogether new and the greatest news, as I said, that we will ever hear. Why? Well, we read in Genesis that in the beginning, human beings, you and I, were created in the image of God, to represent God on earth, to be God's image bearers in the world, to be like God to one another, to be like God to the created order. Do you see that? In fact, to the entire created order. In fact, to fill the earth, in Genesis it says, to fill the earth and have dominion, to show forth God's character and his ways as his representatives on earth. Do we do that? No. The first couple, Adam and Eve, turned away from God to rule and to reign in their own right, apart from God and in their own way. They established the kingdom of self-rule with devastating effects on themselves, on others, and in fact the entire creation. So at Christmas we have God to the rescue. And his rescue plan was to become one of us, a human person, and to establish his rule and reign on earth as the true human person, to be the true image of God in humanity, to be the true image of God in creation, in the physicality of creation, to do what we failed to do and to rescue humanity and the whole of the creation. Of course, to do that, God became the man Jesus. Jesus was and is God himself. And when he finished his rescue work on earth, he sent his spirit to dwell in all who receive him so that his spirit, the spirit of the king, might be in us, so that God's kingdom continues to come, continues to break into the world through his redeemed people until Jesus comes again. So the most significant question that we will ever answer on earth Jesus asked this question of the disciples that were closest to him. Who do you say that I am? Nothing more significant for us to answer that question. Who is Jesus? Nothing's more important to our lives or the affairs of the entire world than the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is not about blind faith. I want to point out it's not about just believing for believing's sake in answering the question who is Jesus there is historical and factual element but there's also the personal discovery element it's the element that I love we can look into history and so on but the personal discovery element See, in hindsight we can look back on Jesus's life and his impact on the world so his, his birth is uh, his, uh, his death, his resurrection is reliably recorded for us. 
historically verified by ancient historians, his life on earth is historical fact. It's undeniable, historically. And yes, he did still the storms, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. That was never going to be enough. And now, 2,000 years after his birth, Jesus of Nazareth's impact on the world is likewise well documented by historians and is by any standard, Jesus is seen to be the most influential and the most captivating figure in all of human affairs, in all of human history. It's report there's been more books written about Jesus than any other person, for example. He's recognised as the most powerful moral lever that has ever been applied to the affairs of humanity. No greater moral lever. His impact on the world is seen in governments, it's seen in legal systems, it's seen in science, in the arts, in universities, in medicine, in human rights, to our calendar, to our names, to our holidays, to voluntary organisations, and we could go on and on in every sphere of human life. There's been an impact over those 2,000 years. And as Jesus' identity, his identity explains the explosive rise of the Christian church in the first century. And today, in the 21st century, Christians are found actually on every continent and reportedly comprise nearly a third of the world's population and the largest religious group in the world. The church has been described as the most diverse society on earth. That must point to Jesus as being something more than a mere mortal of a man. And of all the good and bad, that historically surrounds the, the, the institution of the church, there is not one blemish on Jesus himself. Not one. It's on us. And Jesus has dealt with it and will deal with it in the end. But there's not a blemish on the man. But history and fact is not enough for us to receive him as king of our lives. Why? For there's the personal, there's the person, there's the personal encounter. Jesus is seeking out all who are out of touch with the Father, with his Father. That's what he's doing. He's seeking us out in his great love. All who are out of touch with the Father, personally, individually, seeking us out. In itself, the arguments of history are only words on a page. As enormous as they are, it's not the scriptures, they're words on a page. There needs to be more. And that more is the personal. That more is the personal, the relational, the intimate. And the personal is inseparable from the historical. We know that, the historical evidence. But the historical evidence, as important as it is, in the end is swallowed up and overwhelmed by the personal, by personal encounter with Jesus himself through the Spirit of God. That's what it's all about, encountering the King of heaven personally in our hearts. And as the Spirit moves, and he moves our hearts, he speaks to us, and he comes to us, and he reveals himself to us. I wonder this morning whether you've personally encountered 
Jesus himself, who is the Lord, the one who is personal, the beginning of all personal. That's where personal began, in God. Who is for you and who is the King of Kings. It's a matter of tasting. It's like a recipe. You know, we have a recipe and then we make a cake. But in the end, it's actually not in the words of the recipe or even in the making of the cake itself. In the end, it's in the tasting. It's in the experience. It's in the knowing of the goodness of God. I can say from my own experience that it's the, it's, it's the personal encounter with Jesus that has made all the difference. Not all the reading about history, even the reading of the scriptures. We've got to hear, as Graham said in, the, in his message, uh, word in season. We need to hear the voice of Jesus, the personal voice of he who is the Lord. When we do, we're overwhelmed actually by the much, much more of Jesus than all that we could explain historically about what he's done, his impact on the world. The first disciples responded, you remember? They actually responded to him out of a kind of intuitive drawing and obedience long before they knew who he was. Long before they knew who he was. His teachings stunned audience. He spoke with authority like no other. His presence radiated goodness. Remember the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus with the mysterious stranger that didn't know who he was. And what they found is that their hearts were burning within them. And happened in them. Their hearts were moved and stirred by God's presence. See, the first and last impression of those who actually encountered Jesus or engaged with Jesus is of that much, much more. There's something about him that's different and deeply attractive and uh, so otherworldly. See, Jesus was speaking and acting as if he embodied the unthinkable. Yahweh, God, come down in person and in power to bring salvation and freedom, joy and peace, the new creation, the kingdom of God in us on earth to work through us and to flow through us into the world like the river of life to transform the entire world. See, the Roman world that Jesus came into at the time was scarred. It was terrible. Much worse than the world we live in today. It was scarred by war and conflict, poverty and injustice, brokenness and suffering and heartache. Into that world came the best news ever. And it burst into flames at that stage, at that time. And that blaze is continuing to encircle the earth to this day. And we've got eyes to see what is happening in the world. See, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You know the Lord's Prayer. See, Jesus is teaching us to pray for the joining of heaven and earth, that heaven and earth might be one. And that day is coming. That's what's happening now, which has significant implications for both our private and personal lives and as well as the public secular sphere of life. It's good news not only because we can personally experience forgiveness of sins, as great as that is in the coming of the Spirit in us, 
but it's good news because the kingdom of God is breaking into the kingdoms of this world. God's kingdom is invading both the personal and the public realms of life on earth to fill every realm in the air with his goodness. The king of heaven has come to save and to rule as king on his earth. It's always been his world to rescue us and to bring the whole world into a different world order of justice and mercy and love and joy of wholeness and peace and reconciliation and nothing will stand against that. Here we have the candles that are representing the bright lights of peace, of joy and of hope that we've been talking about. They are bright lights of the character of God and the goodness of God shining in the world. That little stone, this seemingly hidden kingdom, without a visible frame or rule, has come and keeps on rolling slowly but surely in its own way, overcoming the world. See, this is the mystery revealed in Daniel, to Daniel, that's unfolding in our age. The rock cut without human hands that became the mountain of God filling the whole earth. See, we live in the already, but not yet, of the kingdom of God on earth. But Jesus is on a mission. And it is God who is bringing his kingdom in his way. We don't always like that. We want things to happen quicker. Uh, or our own ways. But he's bringing the kingdom in his way. See, in the midst of it all, we do have the opportunity to be transformed into his likeness and to, into his image. To bear the fruit, the fruit of the spirit of God in the world. To be part of of the kingdom filling the world until Jesus comes again. See, when our lives bear the fruit of the kingdom of God, that is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, honesty, justice, mercy, grace, the character of God is being revealed on earth. And he's breaking into the world and changing the world and making the world a better place, a place where heaven and earth unites as God intends. So whenever you do acts of kindness, or acts of generosity, or acts of compassion, or forgiveness, or love, you are living the life of the kingdom of God on earth. Amen. Little seeds of the kingdom of God being sown in the earth that multiply until the earth is full of the character of the king. Like a Christmas hampers going out in love to those struggling in our community. It's like the Christmas offering going to the suffering and hungry and homeless people in Lebanon following the devastating uh, Beirut explosion. It's like uh, some, of it, some among us who visit the local prisons, or visit the sick, or when you help and care for the poor. But when you forgive your husband, you forgive your wife, your brother, your sister, your friend, this is all the power of the goodness and beauty of the kingdom of God at work on earth. Whenever you see places of care such as hospitals and places of learning and education like schools and universities, you're witnessing the effects of the kingdom of God coming to earth. It was Jesus' followers that originally began these places. Whenever you see creativity and breakthrough for the good of humanity and for the good of the world, you're witnessing the kingdom of God coming to earth. 
Whenever you see justice administered, you witness in the kingdom of God on earth. Whenever you see damaged marriages healed and blossomed, or destructive addictions broken, or friendships maintained, or communities flourishing, or forgiveness exercised, or poverty overcome, or people living in freedom like we are, and peace, you're witnessing the kingdom of God invading the earth. It, we're seeing it all around us. See, there is turmoil in the world because there's a clashing of kingdoms. As there was when Jesus first came. The issue is, will you and I accept or resist Jesus, the King of the Kingdom of God? See, God doesn't force you or me to yield to him. That's not his way. His way is loving kindness. That's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of love. And the cross is evidence of that to us. See, Jesus overcame evil and death not by physical force or emotional force or calling down myriads of angels, but by dealing with evil and death in himself for us as a gift to be received. See that? He's done it all that we might receive the gift of himself to us, having dealt with evil and death. See, the vision in Daniel shows us that in the end, whatever is not consistent with the kingdom of God will amount to nothing. The only lasting kingdom is God's. Jesus' name will live forever. And nothing, nothing in the end will stand in the way advancing kingdom of God. Why? Love, love, love wins. Amen. And love wins in its own way, in its own time. The only lasting kingdom. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that truth, who Jesus is in the end. He's seen to be the one who loved us in his love, came for us. So I encourage you today just to let Jesus be king in your life. Amen. Now, to let him be king now, to let him reign in your hearts, that you might be blessed and that you might be a blessing in the world. Amen. And actually see the sheer goodness and beauty of God's kingdom break into the world all the more through your life. I wonder whether just before... Jonathan comes up for our last closing song. Maybe just take a minute and commune with Jesus, speak to Jesus, respond to Jesus. If Jesus has been speaking to you, respond to him. Let him know your heart. Let him know how you're feeling. But transact with him. Speak to him. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website, 
at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.